0: Thank you for listening to a River Life Fellowship Podcast. We're a church family in North Carolina with a vision for people to experience the grace of Jesus, be filled with the Father's love, and to release the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's this week's message from Mooresville. How many of y'all remember the last time I spoke? I spoke on First Peter. I've been kind of obsessed with first and second Peter the last few months of my life. I I've 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 read them multiple times. Dozens of times at this point. Mary Magusu scolded me this week because I admitted to her that I have never read the Bible through from beginning to end. And she, uh, she, yeah, that was the reaction she gave. So, um, you know, I'm a man of the people. Like, how many of you have actually read the Bible all the way through? Like, oh, man. All right. Okay. Well, God's still working on me, y'all. All right. We've got to be patient with each other. All right. Well, anyways, we, we, we determined something the last time we, we were together in First Peter. And I don't know if you remember this, but I said this thing. God is at work. Do you remember that? God is at work, right? He's always working. He's always working whether you see it or not. Amen. So God is not slow in keeping his promises, right? But he does take his time. God is not slow as some understand slowness to be. He's not slow at the work he is doing, but he does take his time. And his timing is better than our timing. So the question for us today is, how do we embrace the timing of God? There's an actual way to do this. So I love this. I'm going to be jumping around. I don't think these folks have all the, all the scriptures that I'm going to be pulling from today. But 1 Peter 5, 6 says this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he will lift you up in due time. In due time, the new American standard version says, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand and he will exalt you in due time. So while you were on your way to exalt the Lord, he was on his way to exalt you. You were about your business of him up and he's been all about his business of lifting you up. But the thing is, there's some wisdom needed to kind of figure all this out. So we should always acknowledge that God's work takes time. Even the sanctifying work of the spirit that I talked about last time, it takes time. Your salvation is instant, but what God wants to do in your life takes a lot of time. That should help you in your marriage. My husband is saved, but what God is doing in his life takes time. So it is important that we believe this. It's important that we believe that God is always at work in our lives, even when it seems like he is not. Do you know what I'm talking about? Sometimes it seems like he's not at work. But you need to hold on to this idea that he always is. The reason is, is that it is important that you trust this because there will be times when it will seem like God is not doing anything at all. You know this. And if you wrongly conclude that God is no longer working, then the devil will be able to discourage you with hopelessness and despair. I've been there. I I have been in seasons of my life where I've literally said the words, where's God? He's not anywhere around me. And it just opens the door to all kinds of sadness and sorrow hopelessness and despair sometimes sometimes you get in a funk and the reason why you're there is not not because god has done anything but because you've opened the door to that you have to be careful what you say but thankfully we know that god saved us from this thing that peter talks about god saved us not because he wanted to give us over to hopeless and despair but he saved us from the empty life that we inherited from our ancestors he saved us from emptiness he saved us from meaninglessness he saved you into fullness and meaningfulness even in the seasons of your life when it does not appear that god is working at all So this morning, I want to draw your attention to this important reality that we see in both the Old and the New Testaments that can really help us to better understand our lives. I want to talk to you this morning about being in exile, not in exile, but an exile. You are an exile. (laughs) You are a stranger in a strange land. You are a stranger in a strange land, you are a sojourner, you are a pilgrim, you are a citizen of their kingdom. According to the Bible, you and I are exiles, and we live currently in a place that is not our home. We are citizens of the United States of America who live in the Lake Norman area, but first and foremost, we are citizens of the kingdom of God, and therefore, we are exiles in this world. It's really important for you to kind of keep that before yourself all the time, especially in this next year or so. It's gonna be a lot of stuff like flowing, demanding your allegiance. And there are some things that you should think about politically. I'm not saying that you should turn off your brain and not vote, or I'm not saying do any of those things, but your primary allegiance is to Jesus. Your primary uh, citizenship is in the kingdom of God. That is where all other decisions need to flow from and out of, all right? So according to the Bible, we are exiles and we live in a place that is not our home. The apostle Peter put it like this. In in 1 Peter 1.1, he addresses all of these Christians that are scattered all over Asia Minor. And he says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to you, God's elect, exiles scattered through the world. These are not Jewish people. These are not people that are uh, familiar with the Jewish story of the Babylonian exile. These are Gentile believers who have been brought into God's kingdom and he's addressing them as exiles, all right? First Peter two eleven he says, beloved urge you as sojourners and as exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. So he's bringing some pastoral connection, but he's addressing folks as exiles, Christian believers. All right. So Peter wrote his two letters to Gentile believers who were living all across the world and they had been experiencing rejection and hardship because of the way they were living. He goes on to say, hey, you used to live in drunkenness. You used to live in revelry. You used to, uh, he even, forgive me, he uses the word orgy. You used to partake in all these weird things and you no longer do that anymore. So people think you're really weird now and people were facing hardships because they had done this new way of living and it was confusing the people they were living among so the Christian walk is about believing correctly like you you put your Jesus you're saved because well by faith alone we believe that right by faith alone but But it's not just that, there are indicators that you are a child of God living in the kingdom of God as a citizen of the kingdom of God. So you go about your life, doing your life the way Jesus wants you to, and you're going to stand out. And because you're standing out, you're gonna be confronting and disrupting other people's status quo. And when that happens, you will feel resistance. You will, be, you will get told you don't belong here. And in a way that's true, but in another way it's not true because you're on assignment, you have a, a mission, you have something to do in this world that you're sojourning through, all right? So Peter was pointing them to this fact that the tension and difficulty that they were ex- experiencing is something to be expected. Something to be expected, right? Um, so he says this in 1 Peter 4.12. He says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery trial that has come upon you to test you as though something strange was happening to you. Why am I always surprised? I'm always surprised. These things happen to me. I'm like, first of all, God, how dare you? (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) But I was sometimes like that. I'm like, really, God? Really? Is this what I have to endure? Is this what I have to go through? But this is what I want you to hear. That even in that, even in our exile, even in the the feeling of rejection, even in those actions that we feel walking through this world, God is still at work. He is at work, especially in our exile. Being in, in, in exile is not an easy thing. It is hard sometimes to live with the constant feelings of being out of step with the world. It can be difficult to stay encouraged when it doesn't seem like God is working anymore. It's easy to be a stranger in a strange land when you can see God moving, when you can see God working, but it is really hard when you can't see him working. You know what I'm talking about. You guys remember a couple weeks ago, Byron gave us this definition of glory. He said, glory is the beauty and goodness of God on display. Do you remember that? Yeah. The glory of God is the beauty and goodness of God on display. We experienced that this morning. We, we went from having a singing service to being in the presence of God. You can do one without the other. You can have a nice singing service and not necessarily have the goodness and beauty of God on display. I mean, I'm not sure exactly how all of that works. I wish there was a formula that we could just give the worship team that said, if you sing these songs this way, then God will show up but the way that I think he actually does it is I'm gonna keep you all on your toes and this exercise is an exercise of communal faith that we're just gonna have to keep going after. And sometimes it's gonna feel like a grand slam and sometimes it's gonna, be, it's gonna feel like, well, we got to first base just on balls, right? Or, or maybe we even strike out, I don't know. I mean, we've had a few of those around here occasionally, but not too often, thank God. Um, but in my own life, I can say this, not even as a church, but I've seen the beauty and goodness of God in my own life. I really have. And I know you have too. I've seen God do some things. And sometimes in my life, I get nostalgic. I I start suffering from a sense of nostalgia in my brain. And I start longing for the things that God used to do. And I get trapped in my brain just kind of like thinking about the good old days all the time. And all I seem to talk about, dream about, plan for, are the days that were behind me instead of the days are, that are in front of me. And, I, it, and the reason is, is because I'm mystified. I, I'm mystified that, that why, why is God not working now the way he worked back then? I mean, we believe this. We've established this. God is at work. He's always working. But it's so weird when he stops working the way he used to. It It creates irritation, doesn't it? It creates frustration, doesn't it? Doesn't it create a sense of tension inside of you? Like you don't know the way backwards, but you know there's not really a path forwards either. Like you don't know the way to go. But here's the thing that we're finding out. God is just as comfortable with the ebb of the tide as he is with the flow. He invented the tide, the tide ebbs, the tide flows, and he's perfectly comfortable with both. He's always working. He's working with the ebb of the tide. He's working with the flow of the tide. We love the flow, but we don't know what to do with the ebb. We say God's working during the flow. He's not working during the ebb. No, you need to change your confession. He's working in the flow. He's working in the ebb. God's showing up in the flow. He's showing up in the ebb. God is just as comfortable with the quiet years as he is with the years of outpouring. If God, is, if God can be comfortable with change, then I can be comfortable too. So there's this thing that happens in chapter eight. Up until Acts chapter 8, the early church is just, they're having a good old time. Signs, wonders, healings, deliverances, salvations, baptisms, baptisms in the Holy Spirit. You name it, they had it. The church was being added to daily. They had a megachurch on their hands the very first day. Don't talk bad about megachurches. I'm preaching to myself. Don't talk bad about megachurches. Because on the very first day of the church, a megachurch was established. The very first church was not a house church. It was a megachurch. Did you all know that? That's crazy. I have a bias against megachurches, but the very first church was a megachurch. So the the good times are flowing for a few chapters and then everything comes to a screeching halt at the beginning of chapter eight. That's when the persecution started and the scattering started. There was this massive effort to disrupt the work of God in the church of God and the work of God that was happening in the flow of the spirit shifted. It shifted and it stopped being salvations, healings, and deliverances. And it turned into upheaval and change. There was a massive shift. So this is crazy. In Acts chapter 8, there's a scripture that says this. There was a persecution that came against the church at Jerusalem. And the Bible says that they were all scattered except for the apostles who remained in Jerusalem all the church members left and the pastors stayed. So imagine that y'all, imagine you are the pastor of a megachurch that's adding thousands every year to your role. And then you wake up one day and all of a sudden your entire church is gone. Would you be able to say to yourself, God works in the ebb of the flow, just like he does in the flow, (laughs) ebb of the tide, just like he does in the flow. You might need a a better understanding of the way God works so that you could keep moving forward in the Lord. These chosen men who had been leading a thriving, growing, successful church where people were being saved, healed, and delivered, baptized in the Holy Spirit, woke up one morning and everything was gone. Everything changed. They had gone overnight from great success to apparent failure. But they would have made a mistake if they had got up the next morning and said, we're failures. The church project is a failure. God's not real and he's not working. God's not doing anything anymore. He used to be so good at revival, now he's not. He used so good at outpouring, he's no longer good at those things. If it can happen to Peter, James, and John, it can happen to you and I. This is the dynamic that the church experienced early on. It's the dynamic that you experience in your life as an individual. It's the dynamic that your family experiences as a family. It's the dynamic that this church has felt over decades. We've seen the ebbs and flows of the Spirit, haven't we? So we know that there is scriptural precedent for waking up one day and not recognizing the world anymore. Don't be afraid when that happens to you. You haven't necessarily done something wrong. God just happens to be at work. God is at work and God is moving on. And he is not rewriting the same chapter in our lives over and over and over We wish that he would, but that's not what he does. He knows how to be the author and the finisher of our faith. Do any of you all go to the movies and hope that you know the outcome at the start? Do you hope that there's no rising action? Do you go to the movies hoping that there's no conflict? do you hope that you understand everything that's happening in the movie or do you want some action and adventure do you want a little egg in the movie you give your money to go to the movies so that you can stand in awe of the story you were just told I don't want to walk out of the movie theater and say I figured that out in three minutes that was boring We were actually designed for intrigue and mystery. Y'all we We're we're always saying, Oh God, if you could only make my life easier, but actually he doesn't do that because he didn't design you for an easy life. He actually hardwired you to walk by faith. So he knows how to do this. He is weaving together a beautiful tapestry of history. And the work that he did yesterday is not as interesting to him as the work he's doing today. The glory he poured out yesterday is not as interesting to him as the glory that he wants to pour out today. But the question for us is, do we have eyes to see it? Why, why would we need eyes to see it? because it might show up differently. It might look differently. It might sound differently. We might not recognize it. Do we have the ability to recognize a new glory when it comes? So you ask yourself this question, what if what God is doing today looks different than what he looks, did yesterday? And how am i going to respond to it because it's not a guarantee that we will always say yes to the work of god when it shows up it's not a guarantee it's it's like a decision you have to make every time he comes in a new way i i feel like i'm in danger every time i tell myself oh yeah whatever you want anytime you want it lord like No, that's not the way this works. It's like he usually comes in a way that I didn't expect. He usually doesn't meet my expectations. He usually comes in a way that offends me because he wants me to not make an idol out of the last move that happened. I can enter into the new thing that he wants to do. God's coming after our idols. He's coming after those things that we have elevated above him it is possible to make an idol out of a former move it's possible to overvalue a past glory it's possible to overvalue the way god used to work over the way he wants to work in your life today Sometimes the beauty and goodness of God displays itself in a way that doesn't seem beautiful or good. You know why Jesus stumped so many people when he was walking around the earth? Because in the mind of the, of the Jew at that time, the word Messiah had some massive connotations that went with it. I mean, there was a, there was a warrior on a horse with a sword that would overthrow the political powers of that age. He was, he was probably handsome in the imaginations of people's minds. And that he came lowly and simple and meek and mild was very confusing to a whole people. First of all, I mean, or maybe it's last of all, decent messiahs don't die. They don't. In the, in the imagination of the first century Jew, if you were going to be a legitimate Messiah that was going to save your nation, the very first thing that you would do would not die on, be to not die on a cross. You would put your enemies on a cross. You would not set yourself up on one. So God is always coming to us in ways that we do not expect. This is why Peter, the apostle, is telling the exiles scattered all over the world. Do not be surprised when the glory of God comes to you in the form of a fiery trial. Don't be surprised when God is doing today in your life something that looks so different than what he did yesterday. This is the wonderful thing. We do not have to live under the burden of our former glories. God wants to lead us out of that um, misplaced expectation. He doesn't want us to look backwards for the rest of our lives. I mean, I might say he doesn't even want us to look too far in the future because I think what he's doing, he's doing right now. And he's trying to get attention to this moment because God is working. He is always at work, especially in today. We can say yes to what God is doing in our lives right now. You may be in a season of abundance. You may be in a season of lack. You may be in a season of wisdom. You may be in a season where you don't feel like you have all the understanding you need, but whatever place you find yourselves in, you can trust that God is at work. You can trust that, you can take that to the bank. God is working in your life right now, no matter where you are. So there's a story in the Old Testament about this temple most of you probably know the story so i'm i'm not actually going to pull up the text and read it to you but in a nutshell there was a temple it was known as solomon's temple because well solomon built it and the splendor of this building was absolutely glorious it was immaculate it was an incredible work Nobody had ever seen anything like this building before. If we were to use modern church language to describe Solomon's temple, we might say that it was extravagantly ornate and luxurious in its architecture and design and decoration. But the thing about it that was really special was that every time it was time for church, Everybody went, everybody showed up early because they knew that the presence of God was going to be there. They showed up and God showed up every time. I mean, you might say it like this. Everybody went and got slain in the spirit. Everybody went and spoke in tongues. Everybody went to church and repented of their sins. There were healings, there were deliverances, there were salvations, there were baptisms, and they recorded some of the best worship CDs the world has ever heard. (laughs) That's what was going on in in that temple, in glory. The beauty and goodness of God was on full display. The glory of the Lord was poured out in a way that people would never forget all of everybody's dreams were coming true. It was a good time y'all. I don't know about you, but that sounds great to me. Like I want to be doing that with my life every Sunday. I mean, Monday through Saturday too, but if I can at least get it on Sundays, I mean, wouldn't that be amazing? If we were planning the plan, we might do that, right? We might have that happen all of the time, every single day in our lives where it was just like the manifest presence poured your every day life, every single day, all of the time. We're just walking in a bliss cloud of glory all the time. <clears throat> but here's the thing about that temple. Eventually it came to an end. And the story goes, well, it was, it's, it's a bad story. There, there, was, there were some things that happened that weren't so good. And I don't really wanna talk a lot about the things that weren't so good, uh, but I just wanna tell you that, that that temple was destroyed. That temple came to an end. The Babylonians came in, they destroyed the temple, they destroyed Jerusalem, they raised it to the ground, they killed a bunch of people, and they exiled the rest of those people to a land. So, Some of us might relate to the story a little bit. They were exiles. Peter's talking to us like we're exiles. Admittedly, we have had some really glorious years in our lives. Amy and I have had some incredible years in our lives. I know know some of y'all had just had incredible encounters. As a church, we've had some just sweet, sweet years, times of refreshing that we we still talk about. And I'll never stop talking about them, to, to be honest. I want those stories to go into the hearts of my children and my grandchildren. And I mean, that kind of legacy is priceless. You can't, there's not enough money in the world to purchase that. We were just, Honestly, we've had times where we were just all in awe all of the time, but we know this, we know this, that everything changes. We've lived that part too. We've lived, we've lived the manifest glory years. And then we get to that point in acts eight where everything shifts and where you have to figure out a new way of walking with the Lord, where you have to figure out a new way of saying yes to the Lord. And, and it's interesting about those harder seasons. I think it's really easier if you know what the end date of your fiery trial is going to (laughs) be, but if you don't know what the end date is, it can get really difficult to navigate. Can't it? What do we do when God starts working differently? The atmosphere changed. We were doing the same things, but getting, not getting the same results. No one could figure out why. And you could feel these irritations start forming in your heart. You get provoked because God and you are no longer working on the same things. God is doing a new work, and he is waiting for us to catch up but we can't really catch up to him because we are mad at the new glory. (laughs) That it isn't as beautiful as the old glory. You see, here's the thing. Nothing is as amazing as the glory of what God used to do. And nothing is as frustrating as a glory that only lives in your memory. I've been that person. I've been that person. I've been the person who would just tell stories about what God would used to do. I became that person who couldn't see that God was still working in my life when how he was working shifted. And I started getting mad. I started getting angry. I started getting cynical. And I started saying things like, well, just all the dumb things that people say when they get crushed and and disappointed. So Solomon's temple, it gets destroyed. And that glory fades. But the story like this, and this is really interesting. And I want you to pay attention to this. After 70 years of those exiles being held captive in Babylon, the Holy Spirit begins to stir up the heart of the king who they were, the emperor that they were living under. And he starts getting provoked by the spirit of God. And he he's for some reason he gets restless and he has a sense that the Jews should go back to their homeland and that they should rebuild the temple. So what happens is a bunch of people, they return to Jerusalem and they begin worshiping God again. They don't just go back and build the temple again. They start worshiping. They go back and they begin singing and praising. They start offering sacrifices again. It had been decades since any of this had gone on in Jerusalem. The people again had a place to worship god and to experience his glory and and then after worship is reintroduced plans are made to begin rebuilding the temple and then the foundations are laid they make plans and then they put down the foundations and then after they put down the foundations they throw a big old praise party they don't wait for the walls they just get the praise team they plug in the electric drums and the keyboard and they just start singing and shouting. And for the first time in 70 something years, the praise of God begin going up in Jerusalem again. So this is Ezra three, 10 and 11. It goes like this. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and with trumpets, And the Levites, with cymbals, took their places to praise the Lord as prescribed by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, He is good. His love toward Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord had been laid. But a really interesting thing happens in verse 12. It goes like this. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this new temple being laid. And while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard from far away. So here's the thing. God's gonna work. It doesn't matter what your opinion of it is. But when God begins to work in a new way, when he pours out a new glory, there will be sounds of joy And there will be a sound of weeping. The question you have to ask yourself is, which party are you going to? Are you going to be in the group that is saying yes to the new way that God is working? Or are you going to grieve and weep that what God is doing now is not like what he did back then? Because it's not a given that we will say yes to the Lord when he shows up. There were people at the party who could not participate in the new glory of that moment. Because they were old enough to remember Solomon's temple. They knew that this temple would not be as good as the old temple. Y'all. For real, this new temple that was being built was not as good as the other temple. The music wasn't as good, the preaching wasn't as good. There were less salvations, there were less baptisms, there were less people showing up for church, they didn't even have walls yet, but they were assuming that when they got up they were not gonna look like the ones behind them. And so they came to this conclusion, this cannot be God. And they were wrong. We have to be so careful to not judge the work of God. When it doesn't look like the thing that we really loved behind us. Anytime the Lord does something new, there will be joy and there will be sadness. I, I remember this dynamic. We in, in our history in this church, there were chapters where there was outpouring of the Lord and some people, and this, this is not an indictment. I'm just description here. So don't hear zero condemnation from me. I'm just saying this is the way it is. God would move in our midst. Some people would fall on their faces weeping, and some people would stand there like this. Oh, can we just go to lunch? So, so we have to be careful. Huh, this is interesting. Joy will come from those who never had a former glory. That's why the kingdom of God is uh, really easy for little ones to come into because they don't have a history of what God used to do. (laughs) We compare what God is doing now to what God was doing then, and we do not approve. (laughs) Lord, help us, right? Mercy, Lord. Lord. Have mercy on us, Lord. I'm guilty of this. I've been like these old guys clinging to what God did years ago, completely unaware that God was the one working, even though things did not look the same. I've been one of those people who did not recognize the work that God was doing because it looks totally different than what I expected. And I've realized that part of my problem is that I don't know how to work with God when he comes in a new way. I know the old way, but I don't know the new way. Uncertainty scares me. I don't like things that I can't understand. Have you noticed that you gravitate toward things that you have already figured out? We don't often gravitate towards things that are risky towards things that are dangerous. But God is in the business of letting our idols be destroyed. And the truth is, we can all make an idol out of our expectations of God. But he doesn't want us to trust our expectations. He wants us to trust him. Because that's the thing, isn't it? Temples come and temples go. Movements of God come and movements of God go. We are thankful for them all and we enjoy them all but they're temporary. They're all temporary. And here is what happens when you are a cranky person like me who is clinging to a former glory, you refuse the assignment that God gives you for today. I don't wanna do that. I don't wanna refuse the work that God has for me today. This is is from Haggai 2.3. Who have left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it seem like nothing in your eyes? Does the work of God seem like nothing in your eyes? God wanted to build another temple, that's the thing. He wanted to do this, he was working. Was it as beautiful as Solomon's temple? No, was it worth building? Who cares? That was the assignment that God gave. If God asks you to do something, you just do it. We don't waste energy assessing whether it's worth it or not. We just do it. I mean, Byron said it last week, Paul planted, Apollos watered, God did the harvest. It's like, there's just these assignments that God gives us. Some might be sexy and some might not be. Whatever God tells you to do, you just do it. We can miss what God is doing now because all we can think about is how good things used to be. Maybe your church isn't what it used to be. Maybe the person you are married to is different than they used to be. I used to have, believe it or not, I used to have really big muscles. <laughs> People are laughing. Yeah, Byron's getting me. But, but Amy realizes that. My former glory has faded. Maybe you're in a season of your life where the Lord isn't coming to you loudly and clearly, but he's coming to you in a still small voice. Maybe you're in a season of surrender rather than resistance. You know, it takes wisdom to know what you should ex- accept and what you should fight. Did you know that? Like, like a lot of times God will send something to you to bring discipline in your life, but you're, you're rebuking the devil the whole time. But, but God sent that thing to you, to form you, to change you, to sanctify you. So you have to ask the Holy spirit, should I resist right now? Or should I surrender? You shouldn't surrender to everything that comes down the pike, but you should also not resist everything that comes down. So you need wisdom to know the difference. Some of y'all are in a season of surrender right now. Maybe you're in a season of rather than ease where there's no clear path forward and there's no clear path behind you, but you gotta trust this. I've said it a million times already. God is working in all things. Whatever season it is that you are in, you can trust him that his glory is pervading in your life right now. I don't care how desperate it seems. I don't care how much lack you have. I don't care how much abundance you have. Whatever season you are in, you can trust that the glory of God is on the move. So I'm gonna close with this, y'all. I am legitimately gonna close this is great this is the great thing about living in exile do you know what God told his people to do while they were exiles in Babylon sometimes you can get this idea. when Peter calls us exiles it can feel like we're just living in our cars you know like it can just feel like we're um camping out you know parking in the Walmart uh parking lot and using the bathrooms in Walmart like we got one foot in and one foot out, right? You know? But here's the thing: I'm I'm planning on a legacy of a thousand years. I'm not planning to live a thousand years, but I'm planning on a legacy of a thousand years. I want my children and my grandchildren and my great grandchildren to know the glory of God, to carry the glory of God into the world as ambassadors, as exiles of the kingdom of God. I, I, I want to tell you, okay. Um, in the book of Romans, the word "elect" is used. Peter uses the word "elect" here. Okay, the word "elect" is very tricky because it it kind of gets the gives you the idea of um, of 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 specialness, or like that election is only for us four and no more, like within these four walls and no more. Let me tell you this, if you are among the elect, you are the elect, not for your own sake, but for the sake of the non-elect. Election is not necessarily about your heavenly destiny as much as it is your chosen God-given vocation in the earth to display the glory of God for the sake of your neighbors. So, when we're talking about exile, we're not talking about an escape plan. We're talking about boldly living among our neighbors in our world so that the glory of God can be made known and our neighbors can ultimately end up being in the seat next to us, praising God with us. So, while god had his people living in exile in babylon he told them this this is key for us y'all he said build homes and live in them plant gardens and eat of their produce so that's what you're called to you're called to building something beautiful in it you're called to planting gardens. You know, these are these are metaphors. They're practical, but it's also a metaphor. You're, you're called to build beautiful things within your life so that you and your family can thrive in those things. And as you thrive among the nations, guess what? The nations get blessed. We are exiles in this world, but we... Man, don't you just hate it when your notes are all messed up <laughs> anyways this is what i want to close with your life is important to god and he wants you to build your homes and plant your gardens not just for the sake of you and your family but for the sake of the whole world for the sake of mooresville for the sake of the lake norman area we live down in charlotte for the sake of charlotte for the sake of your neighborhood Thank you for listening to a River Life Fellowship podcast. To get more information, check out riverlifefellowship.com.